Well, I am really grateful that you are here today, and I'm excited to step into a new series. I just wanted to ask this question because I've seen this happen in life, and I imagine you have, but have you ever watched somebody close to you in life? It's almost like happens in slow motion, but have you ever watched someone make really bad decisions in their life and you just know it's gonna be a mess. Has anybody ever seen that? You ever like, okay, don't look at the person next to you, just look at me, but if maybe that's been somebody in your world. You know, I, I think all of us have this ability, it's weird how with somebody else's life and their story, how a lot of times you can watch them and you can, it's like watching a train wreck and you can see them making some decisions and you're thinking to yourself, it is so obvious. How do you not realize that what you are doing and the choices you're making and the direction you're heading is going to mess you up? Have you ever noticed that? We, we have a tendency. Now, I know that is none of you in this. It's somebody else. Like, I have a spiritual gift to see it in others. How about you? I, I've got this gift I can see it in others, just, just not so much in myself. Have you ever noticed that it's a lot easier to see the other people around you making bad decisions than it is to see it in yourself. We, we notice that many of us end up making decisions we regret, but a lot of times we never saw it coming. And the truth is that a lot of times in life, we end up making really significant decisions that will impact our future. And, and here's the thing, it doesn't just impact our future, it impacts others. And so I, I wanted to do this series for a while. In fact, let me just give you the inspiration behind this series. The series is called Kings and Queens. And the inspiration came to me actually several years ago. Years ago, I was, I was reading through my Bible on my personal devotional time. And as I happened to be at that point, I was reading through all of these stories from the Old Testament of the various kings and queens of Israel. That, that's what you find a lot in the Old Testament. And as I'm reading through one after, after another, all I could think is, how do you not see this? You're making the dumbest decision in the world. You're gonna bankrupt this country. You're gonna mess your life up. How do you not see it? And of course, we have the perspective of sitting there and reading a story that was, there was something that happened thousands of years ago. We can just sit there. And, and I thought to myself, how often do many of us don't even realize, but we also make decisions that are really dumb. We make decisions that wreck our future and we don't even see it. And so I thought to myself, in a way, I mean, like, I know they're kings and queens, but then I thought, We're, well, I mean, I'm kind of a king. You're kind of a king and queen, aren't you? Like, in a way, you may not know this, but you're like royalty. I don't know if you'd ever consider that. Some of you are like, no, 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 I don't have the power and I don't have the influence and I don't have a kingdom and I don't have territory and I don't have subjects and I don't have this. I know you might not have all of that and I know you might not be a supervisor and I know you might not be the boss, you might not be the owner, you might not be a parent, I understand all that. But can I just tell you, you actually have more royalty in you than you realize? In, in fact, let me, let, me, let me put it to you this way. You are a king or a queen. So well, what's my kingdom? Well, you're the king of you. You're the queen of your kingdom. In other words, I'm the king of Tim, Tim's kingdom. I make decisions for my kingdom all the time, every day. 
in many ways, you don't realize this, but you're the king or you're the queen of your kingdom. And so I, I want you to see yourself as we look at some stories over the next several weeks of kings and queens, I want you to see yourself as a king. I want you to see yourself as the queen. In fact, maybe you never realized that you are sitting next to royalty. Why don't you turn and look at the person next to you and just give them a little bow, just like, just like I had no idea I was next to royalty. I'm sitting next to, I'm sitting next to someone so elite as you. You are king or queen of your kingdom. And the decisions that you make every day don't just impact you, but they affect everybody that crosses your kingdom. So here's what that means. The decisions that we make, they affect our kids. They affect our spouse. They affect our coworkers. They affect our friends. They affect our classmates. They affect our neighbors. Every decision that you make, it impacts someone. And so for the next several weeks, I don't know how long this series is going to go. There are a lot of kings and queens. We're not going to look at all of them. But we're going to take a look at some incredible stories. Some of you maybe that don't know many of these stories in the Old Testament, you're going to love them. But I actually think the goal is for us to learn. Because here's, here's, here's the thing. I would rather learn from someone else's mistake than make it my own. Anybody else? Come on, wouldn't you rather? I'd rather watch them mess up and go, okay, I'm going I'm to do it better. And so if you've got a Bible with you today, we're going to dive right in. We're going to look at one of the most significant kings of the Bible, the Old Testament, from the Old Testament, a guy named David. And so I'm going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 24. So if you've got an electronic device or your paper Bible with you, this is going to be an incredible series for taking notes because I think it's going to be practical. I think it's going to be helpful. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 24, that's where we're going to start. We're going to look at David who was by far probably the most popular king that Israel had ever had. But we're going to look at David before he got the crown. Before David was crowned. Now, what you need to know, we got to back up in his story, and you don't have to turn there. But I want to give you the context because it makes a big difference. A few chapters earlier in 1 Samuel chapter 16, what we find is that God tells a prophet named Samuel to go to Bethlehem, to find the household of a guy named Jesse. Now, he sends him there, and the king, the original king of Israel, the very first one, was a guy named Saul. And Saul was first chosen by God, but then Saul chose to disobey God. And so God rejected him as king, and so God sent the prophet Samuel to go and anoint the next king of Israel. And so if you know this story, Samuel goes to Jesse's house, and he said, God sent me here on a mission to anoint one of your sons to be the next king of Israel. And so Jesse scrambles and gets all of his boys in the room, or so we think, and he lines them up from the oldest and the biggest and the strongest and the tallest all the way down to his youngest. And Samuel goes up to the first one, and he's like, oh, this has got to be, oh, he's tall, good-looking, handsome, okay, this is it. And God's like, nope, not him. So then he goes down to the next one, the second-born, which definitely should have been the one anointed to be king of Israel because God honors and loves the second born over the, okay, anyway, so, and God says, nope, and he goes to the third, nope, fourth, nope, fifth, nope. and he goes all the way down until there's no boys left in the room, and God told Samuel, no, none of these, and so Samuel said to Jesse, wait, wait, 
is this all your sons? Did I, did I, did I get this wrong? Because God told me to go here. And, and Jesse was like, well, I mean, there is the runt of the litter. There is that he's kind of young and he's just, you know, he's a boy. And, you know, it's, we, we left him out to take care of the sheep, you know. And, and Samuel says, oh, we're not sitting down until you go and get him. And that was David. And so David comes into the room. And the moment David walks into the room, God speaks to Samuel and said, he's the one. That's the one I want. And so Samuel takes a horn of oil and he pours it all over the head of David, just dripping down oil all over, which was his way of anointing him to be the next king of Israel. And here's what scripture says, that the moment he was anointed, the spirit came powerfully upon David. Something happened when he was anointed. Now, here's what you need to know. All throughout scripture, you see picture of people getting anointed. They get anointed, usually with oil. They get anointed. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. And whenever we see anointing in the Old Testament, what we find is a conferring of blessing, but also a purpose. That when somebody was anointed, it means they were chosen for a specific purpose. In fact, Jesus, who we also know as the Christ, you know what the Christ means in the Greek? It means the anointed one. That's what Messiah is in Hebrew, the anointed one. The one we call Jesus Christ, it means Jesus, the anointed one. And Jesus, when he actually went and began his ministry, do you know the first thing he did? He said that the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to preach the good news to the gospel to everyone, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to bind the brokenhearted. To set, this is what Jesus did, okay? And so what we find is there's an anointing for the purpose that God has for your life. Can I just say something to you right now? God has an anointing for your life. Some of you may not even know this, but I want you to hear this. God has an anointing. Maybe God sent me today like Samuel to pour oil over your head because God created you with a purpose and God wants to anoint you for that purpose today if you'd receive it. Some of you would never see yourself that way. God has an anointing on your life. It is different than mine. My anointing is different than yours. It's because God gives us an anointing for what he's created us for. And so in this moment, Samuel anoints David. And then let me tell you what happens right after. I mean, the Spirit of the Lord comes powerfully on David, and now David's ready to assume the throne. And then guess what happens in the very next scene? David goes back to doing his chores. Dripping wet with anointing, he walks right back into the sheep fields to hang out with the sheep. And as the story goes... David has to wait years before anything would happen. Years. In fact, what we find is the very next chapter, the Philistines come to attack the Israelites. David goes up to see what's going on because his dad sends him to run an errand. And then he finds out that there's a giant named Goliath. That's, this is that story, by the way. And he ends up defeating Goliath. I know a lot of you know that story. He defeats Goliath and he gives Israel a victory. And guess what happens from that moment forward? He is elevated and becomes like a captain in the guard of Saul. And guess what? Saul starts to get jealous. The king gets jealous of David. Why? Because David was anointed. Because God's spirit was on him. Because God was blessing him. Because God was preparing him. And jealous Saul, he goes after David and tries to kill him. And so for the next several years, guess what happens? David has to run from Saul for his very life. And that's where we're going to pick up 1 Samuel chapter 24. Are you there? 1 Samuel chapter 24, David had been running for his life, and King Saul is pursuing him. He's going to take him out, his competition. Here's what it says in 1 Samuel 
chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. It says, after Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of Engedi. And so Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding further back in that very cave. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today, the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David, this is so cool, he crept forward and he cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. Now, I wanna pause here for a moment. Let's look at the story. Let's look at the setting because there's something really significant for us to get in this moment. Here Saul gets his elite troops. He gathers 3,000 of the greatest warriors. He's gonna get the rangers and he gets the seals and, and he gets, you know, he gets all, all of the best of the best, okay? And he goes after David in the one place because he's tipped off. And when he shows up in the area and they're searching for David and they can't find him because he's hiding in a cave, it said this, it said that Saul went into a cave, which just so happened to be the other cave, the, Dave, the same cave Dave was in. He goes into this cave to relieve himself. Now, I know some of you are thinking, okay, what, what does that mean, to relieve himself? Now, here's what I need you to know. While you are busy during the week, just like, Make it like saving people in the hospital and making your business money and making sales. I spend half my week going down rabbit trails of trying to understand what it means when, Dave, when Saul relieved himself. I do. I spent, I'm just going to, I got to tell you, I spent way too much time studying this. If you have a King James Version, see, this is why it was confusing to me because I'll study other, other versions. And if you have a King James Version, it says this, that Saul went into the cave and covered his feet. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm so confused. He covered his, I'm studying. What does it mean that he covered his feet? He went, why would you go into a cave to cover his feet? And so as I'm studying this, okay, for you, I do this stuff for you. This is not for my benefit. I'm doing this for you. And as I'm studying this, uh, there's basically two understandings of what does it mean that you cover his feet. Some people think that it was an indication that Saul went in to take a nap. It's kind of like he took a blanket in with him. You know, and you ever get your feet get cold when you're taking a nap and he kind of put the blanket over his feet to cover his feet? Maybe that's what it means. But that's not probably what it means. In fact, most scholars would say, no, that's not what it means. Here, here's what I want you to understand. This is really important to this, this whole story. Uh, to cover his feet, this phrase about his feet, most scholars believe was an ancient euphemism. Um, um, like they feet was a euphemism for personal body parts and actually believe that when he went in to relieve himself, that he went in to take care of his business. You, you don't know what I mean. Okay. The, he went to drop the kids off at the pool. He went to see a man about a horse. That he went to, I, I don't, are there any other phrases that are really inappropriate for it's kind of juvenile to talk about? Okay. I, and I'm trying to understand because I cannot connect this. Why, why are you looking at me like that, Pastor Rick? Yeah, you've not heard that one? That's an old one. It's an old one. There's just some older people. Who do, yeah, okay. Some people are going to have to look that one up. Uh, the way I picture this, okay, it's a, it's a weird, it doesn't make sense. The way I connected it was this. 
It's like, you know how when you go into the bathroom and you take your shorts down over your ankles? Ah, uh, okay, okay, now I can. Now, I'm not sure that's what it means, but that helps me. He covered his feet. So he, he was in there doing his private business. It's the only reason, by the way, why the king would even venture away from his bodyguards, except that he wanted some privacy. So he just so happens to go into the exact same cave that David and his 600 men are in. And he's vulnerable. And he's in there relieving himself. When all of a sudden David's men say, David, look, it's Saul, your enemy. And he's got his shorts down. <laughs> it's your opportunity. Today, God has put him in. Today, the Lord's telling you, go and kill your enemy. This is your opportunity. And the David's men see this moment as divine providence. Is it though? Is it? That's the question, is it? See, I want to remind us that for years, David and his men have actually been on the run. For a long time, they have been in a struggle trying to survive, waiting for David, the one who was anointed to actually be coronated, the one who was anointed to actually be saved. So they're all hanging out with them because one day they might. But, but here's what I have found is that sometimes we will make the worst decisions of our lives in the waiting room. When you are in a season of waiting, I don't know if you're in a season of waiting, but what I have found is when David was anointed, but he was not yet king, that you gotta be careful because we are tempted to make the worst decisions when you're waiting for your future, when you're waiting for your opportunity, when you're waiting for your chance, when you're waiting for your promotion, when you're waiting for that person, that's when you have a tendency to make some really bad decisions. I don't know if you've ever spent time in a waiting room. A couple months ago, we took our daughter Audrey to, to two waiting rooms, two emergency rooms in the same night because she was getting a pain that moved to her lower right abdomen. And as a parent, you're freaking out, is that appendicitis? And so we go to one ER and we spend an hour and a half there, ultrasound, whatever they did. They're like, hey, she might have appendicitis. But then we had to take her to children's. I don't know if you've ever had to go to downtown children's ER. But let me just tell you, we got checked in, I think it was like 11, 11.30 p.m. We did not see the doctor until after 4 a.m. That was the worst waiting room experience of my life. Kids all over the place. Okay, sick kids all over the place. Four hours, broken sleep, miserable. And when you're in a situation like that, here's what happens. All of a sudden, you lose your patience. You get tense. You kind of start seeing things. You start, and listen, here's what I'm saying. In life, and I don't know if you're in a waiting season, but I'll, we all go through them, waiting rooms. We're tempted to make really bad decisions. I want to talk about three temptations that we face in the waiting room today. I want you to write these down because I see these in the story. And I think this is really important. It's practical for us because we're all going to find ourselves waiting. The first one is this. When I look at David's men, and we got to be careful of this, that we are, can be tempted to look for a sign in every situation. Now, now, let me just say this. I do believe, okay, that we live in a physical world, but we deal with spiritual things. Let me just say this. I really believe that if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to know you have a spiritual enemy and he would love to come at you. 
He will, especially if you're moving forward in your purpose, he will come against you and cause this. Okay, I wanna say that. Let me just give that as a preface. However, I think sometimes, can I say this even in the Christian culture, we can sometimes ascribe everything that happens to either God or the devil. Like, like we to an extreme, let's be honest. Okay, where sometimes we can start to see things. We look for a sign. We see things in every situation like it's a sign from God when maybe it's not. What did David's men said? Saul just came into our cave. This is the Lord speaking to you. It's a sign from heaven. This is a, we have a tendency, listen, when we're in a waiting room, to see what we want to see and hear what we want to hear. And we can justify it. Sometimes we get what's called um, pareidolia. Pareidolia. You ever heard of pareidolia? Some of you have. You just didn't ever know this term, pareidolia. Pareidolia is when you can see the Virgin Mary in your grilled cheese sandwich. Do y'all, y'all remember? Hey, can you all put, put it, like, I, some people, I would jog your memory. Do y'all remember, this was like 2004, where there's this woman that saw Virgin Mary in her grilled cheese, half-bitten grilled cheese sandwich, and then she sold it on eBay for $28,000. Some idiot bought that because they're sure that it was like the Virgin Mary that was in her, like, are you kidding me? I mean, don't do me wrong, I'll sell it too. I mean, you know, do you know how many people have seen Jesus in a potato chip? Have seen, like, it's pareidolia. It's we see what we want to see. What did David's men say? They said, oh, this is your opportunity. God has put a divine door in front of you today. This is the Lord telling you, go and kill him. But was it? Was that a divine opportunity? That's a great question. I mean, what are the chances? I mean, it does seem a little bit like, okay, are, are this is a coincidence. I mean, yes, we do know that Saul was hunting for David and had a tip and knew what area he was in. And yes, it is possible. Maybe that was the only cave. I don't know. And maybe he did need to go to the bathroom. And so he went into the cave. I mean, it could be, or it could be that it was God. Could be. I, we don't know. It, but can I just tell you something? God's not the only one that will sometimes put a door in front of you. Can I tell you this? Sometimes the devil will put a door in front of you. Sometimes you'll have opportunities open up to you that you are like, oh my gosh, this just is a dream. Can I tell you the devil will do that sometimes? This is the hard part of how to navigate following Jesus is because sometimes is this God, is this the devil, or sometimes it's neither. And sometimes I think we read into things we want because here's the, here's the danger. When you're in a waiting season is you'll look for a sign in everything. Now, it could have been God that led Saul in there. But what if God didn't want David to kill Saul? What if it was a test? So we have to be careful. We got to be careful because here's what we do. We get desperate. When you get desperate, that's when you do desperate things. When you're desperate to get out of your waiting season, you will start to, as, as my good friend um, Russ always says, you will look for a demon under every rock and an angel behind every bush, right? That's, that's a danger. It's a danger. 
to see it. See, that, that's like, it's like this. It's like when you're in a season when you're frustrated and you get fired, and you could have a tendency to say, oh, the devil's out to get me. The devil's just trying to take me out. Just kind of, I feel like a spiritual attack coming against me. That's one thing you could say. Or you could say, oh, my gosh, this must be God. God doesn't want me at that company. God is leading me to another one. I don't know. It could be God. It could be the devil. It could be God. Or it could be you're lazy, you're late, and you didn't do your job well. It's one of the three. What I'm saying is we have to be careful because here's the temptation is that when we're in the waiting room is we, we are looking for our way out. And we can ascribe something divine that might not be divine. Okay, now I do believe we can face spiritual attacks, but, but here's what we do in the waiting room. We have to learn to trust that God is in control even while we wait. I want this now. I know, and I'm not gonna go look for the Virgin Mary on every grilled cheese sandwich, but, but I, I wanna learn to trust in God's sovereignty in his timing. And so we gotta watch out because that's, that's a temptation. Let me give you another one. Another one is this. Sometimes we're tempted to listen to the voices of others rather than the voice of God. See, David had some men in his ear, and they, they whispered to him, now's your opportunity. They didn't want to be too loud because they didn't want Saul to hear, now's your opportunity. Here's what they said. Today, the Lord is telling you. Oh, that's the Lord's voice. That's what they said. Today, the Lord is telling you. He's given your enemy into your hands. Do whatever you want with him. Was that the Lord's voice? Or was that the men's voices? See, I, I think when we um, land in a place, you know, when we're in this place of, of waiting, we will listen to any voice that will get us out of it. Any voice. Listen, and, and here's what I found. It's important to seek advice. Okay, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. Okay, you need wise people in your life. We, it's important to listen to, to people when they speak into your life. But can I just tell you, here's what I've discovered in my short journey on this earth, is that there are a lot of people in my circle, friends and family, coworkers, that mean well when they speak to me and give me advice about what I should and shouldn't do. But here's what I want to remind you. Even the people that mean the best in your life, they may not know what God has anointed you for. And so we got to be careful what voices we listen to. I can tell you an example or two. Um, when I got engaged to my wife, and I was 19 years old, I remember going to work, and there was a lady at work, and I told her, I got engaged. And she said, that's awesome. She said, how old are you? I said, well, I'm 19. She said, that's a mistake. She just told me. I said, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, this is, I feel like, man, she's the one, and God has brought us together. And she's like, no, 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 that's a mistake. You don't get married that young. And she, what did she do? She took her experience, and then she projected it into my situation. She meant well. She meant well for me. So much so that, guess what? She, she made a bet. She said, I'll bet you $50 that you won't be married 10 years from now. I said, deal. And we shook on it. I wish I could find her. I don't know where she is. I want my $50 back. Because we've been married a lot longer than 10 years. But listen, what I'm saying is there are people in your life that mean well. 
and, and they may speak something into your life, but you gotta be careful whose voice you listen to. Because I remember when we were getting to plant this church, we were getting ready to, and I had a vision meeting at my house and I invited some friends and people I respected over and we were like, here's the vision of our church. Love to maybe have you be part of it. And I gave a survey. I was young, I was dumb. I didn't realize as a pastor, the last thing you do is ask everybody else their opinion. <laughs> hey pastor, when are we gonna vote? Oh, not here, you're not. Oh, heck no, not here, you're not. Uh-uh. You mean well, but you don't know what God's anointed me for. And so I gave this survey out and I asked these questions. One of the questions I asked, I said, I said um, what do you think is most likely the number one reason that a church plant would fail? And I, I even prefaced it because I said studies show that 80% of church plants fail within the first five years. So I said, what do you think of that? And this one guy that I respected more than anybody else, he was a mentor of mine. He taught me to play drums and all this stuff. All this stuff. I'll never forget his answer. He wrote on there, he said, the youth and inexperience of the pastor. I had not been a pastor and I was young. Now, if I listened to that voice rather than the voice of God who said, start this church, it may not be here. Be careful whose voice you listen to, especially in the waiting room. Because you'll hear what you want to hear. Now, let, let me say this. We need to seek godly counsel. It is so important when you're that, to seek godly counsel. Ask a pastor, a spiritual leader, somebody of faith, a father, a figure, a mom. A, ask somebody in your life that you trust. We do. But... I think one of the most important things that we can develop personally is an ability to recognize and hear God's voice. I want godly counsel, but I want to I want to hear God. By the way, David heard God's voice in this. He actually did hear God's voice. I want to show you this. So I stop reading in verse 4. Let me read verses 5 through 7 and you'll actually get to hear God's voice in this moment. After he crept up and cut the edge of of Saul's shorts off. Look at what it says. It says, but then David's conscience began bothering him. Do you know what your conscience is? It's God's voice pre-recorded. That's your conscience. Whenever you do something that's wrong and you hear something on the inside, God just pre-recorded a bunch of things ahead of time. And so what happened was David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. He said this, I shouldn't attack. Notice what he noticed about Saul. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one. Well, David, I thought you were anointed. Yes, so was Saul. Lord forbid I should attack the Lord's anointed one for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. See, David clearly heard from God, but it wasn't until after he cut part of his garment. And that's when he heard God's voice clearly and realized that he should have never listened to the voice of his men. See, we're tempted to listen to other voices rather than the voice of God in the waiting room. And let me give you a third one, the last one. I think in the waiting room, we are tempted to grab something that God intends to give us. That we, we're tempted to take for ourselves something that God wanted to give us. David's men said, now's 
your opportunity. Today, today, you look at it. Today, the Lord is telling you. Today, oh, he is? I know you've been waiting. Today's your day. David, today's your moment. This is your time. This is your, that wasn't the voice of God. That wasn't the voice of God. And sometimes what I've found is that when I'm in a season of waiting, a lot of times we'll hear voices that will tell us it's our turn. It's my time. I got to take it. You know, we live in a culture where if you want anything, you better get it. You better take it. Doesn't matter what it costs you, but you get it, you take it. You want that position, you want that finances, you want that status, you want that, then you take it. But can I just say something? What if God wants to give you something, not you go and take it for yourself? See, I, I happen to believe that, listen, there's something worse than having the wrong thing. It's having the right thing at the wrong time. That's worse than having the wrong thing. It's when you have the right thing, but you get it at the wrong time. See, the reality is this. David was anointed, but he wasn't yet appointed. God had anointed him, but he didn't appoint him yet. David, it wasn't your time. It wasn't your turn. God said, I will give you the throne. Remember, it was God who sent the prophet to anoint David. He said, I am choosing you to be the next king. But just because he was anointed doesn't mean that God had appointed him yet to the throne. So David could either say, I'm going to take the throne or I wait for God to give it to me. And see, here's the thing. When we don't wait on God's timing, I don't know what situation you're in where you feel like you've been waiting, 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 praying for something, waiting, no answer, asking God for years for change your situation, no, no answer. I, I get it. It's frustrating. It's so frustrating. But when we circumvent God's timing, we don't realize we cut short God's plan. We can cut short God's plan. David was cutting short God's plan. When David cut the shorts, I hope you're getting it. When David cut the shorts of Saul, he was cutting short God's plan. And can I tell you this? There's no shortcuts in God's waiting room. There's no shortcuts in the waiting room. I know we want to take control. I know we want, but can I just tell you, God does his best work in the waiting room. God does something inside of us in a season of waiting. It's just like when God led the Israelites out of Egypt, he didn't take them the direct path. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 1, it would be an 11-day journey to get to the promised land. But God said, I can't take them that way because if they have to go fight right now, they are not ready for it. So God took the Israelites on a detour into the wilderness to Mount Sinai where he had to give them his commands so he could develop something in them before they fought their journey in the promised land. And whenever we decide that we're not going to wait on God's timing, what we don't realize is that we're missing the most important thing that God wants to do, which is develop you and build something into you in your season of waiting. Listen to this truth. God builds the character for our calling in the waiting room. We are so impatient. I want it now. I want success now. 
I want to be married now. I want kids now. I want the house now. I want the ministry now. I want the leadership position now. I want the approval now. I want the authority now. I want, we want it now, but what we don't realize is that if we don't allow God to build our character for our calling in the waiting room, that when we get there, we will not have the character and the strength to sustain it. The reason why we see leaders fail and fall all the time is because they reached for something that God wanted to give them, but they grabbed it too soon. By the way, character is developed in the desert. It's developed in the waiting room. It's developed in the season that you don't want to be in. For you to have the strength to hold up under the weight of what God's calling is in your life, it's going to take trusting him and waiting for God to develop it. And see, how you live in this one season will determine what the next season looks like. See, I I think David, who finally heard from God and when he was guilt-stricken over even cutting the shorts of, of Saul, the robe of Saul, but I promise you, David was so glad he didn't do more than that. Why? Because the Bible says that we reap what we sow. And because David chose to wait for God to give him the throne rather than take it, he ended up being able to maintain his throne all the way to the end of his life. And so I want you to know this. Some of you have been waiting on God waiting for the opportunity, waiting for the the ministry calling to unfold, the, the way God wants to use us. God will anoint you before he appoints you. And if you get appointed before you're anointed, you won't be able to stand up under it. Why don't you stand to your feet today? I don't know if you're in a waiting season. I imagine all of us have something in our life that we've been waiting for God to do. Maybe you feel like a passion he's put inside of you, a burden in your heart. Maybe you feel like you're supposed to be three steps down the road. You're supposed to be further than you are right now. Why don't you just maybe in in this moment say, you know what, God, I'm going to follow you and trust you in your timing. God, you will appoint me in your timing. But before that ever happens, here's what I know. The greatest thing that can happen in your life is to receive an anointing from him. He will anoint you. And when Samuel anointed David, this was not just when he got the throne. It says the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. I'll tell you this, you can live in a waiting season and still be filled with the spirit and power. And that's what I think God wants to do for us because that's how he develops us. So you bow your heads with me. Would you just, let's turn to God in this moment. Father, I come to you right now just knowing that probably there's so many different situations represented in this room watching this right now. And God, I, I pray right now for those, Lord, to feel like they're stuck in a season of waiting. Listen, if you're here and maybe today you would say, that's me. 
you feel like you've been in a holding pattern. You feel like you've been in the season where you've been waiting for something to change, waiting for something to change in your marriage, waiting for something to change in your finances, waiting for something to change in your health, waiting for something to change with your future. And you say, I just, I've been waiting, I've been praying, I've been asking God, I've been saying, and I haven't seen anything changing. Can I, can I pray for you today? How many of you would just say, there's something in your life that you feel like you're waiting on God? Raise your hand, raise your hand if you're waiting on God. I won't pray, there's hands everywhere. Just lift your hand if you're waiting on God. Maybe there's a promise that you've been holding on to in your heart that you haven't yet seen. I wanna pray for every hand lifted right now. Father, every hand raised represents somebody that's in a waiting season. Somebody, God, that is wondering, wandering, wanting to know, are you, are you there? Are you gonna answer? Are you gonna heal? Are you gonna show up? Why am I still waiting? Why am I still stuck in this season? God, I pray right now for your voice to begin to speak to them. I pray, God, for your spirit to begin to resonate in them. I pray, God, that you would develop inside of them. I don't know what it is, but I just speak right now and say God is building something in you that you don't even know. God is developing something. I just pray for the patience. I pray for the trust to say, God, I trust you, that I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting on you. Listen, here's what we all need. We all need an anointing from heaven. Come on, if you feel comfortable, would you just lift your hands today? I just want to pray and ask God to pour out an anointing. You know, in the same way that Samuel the prophet anointed David for his purpose and his calling, I believe that God has special anointing for every person under the sound of my voice today. I just believe that you can receive a fresh anointing. Maybe there was a time when you feel like God spoke something over your life, but you haven't seen anything for years. Now, I'm going to pray right now, and as I pray, I believe the Spirit of God is going to come upon you powerfully. And he's going to freshly anoint you with the grace for the season. He's going to anoint you with power for the season. He's going to anoint you for strength for the season. And so, Father, I pray right now. I pray for every person, God, in this place, that we receive a fresh anointing from heaven of your spirit, God. Would you pour out your spirit upon your people, God? Would you give young men dreams and old men visions? God, would you give us an ability to see what you're doing? to wait on you, to trust on you. God, we know that you have called us and that, God, you are going to use us in any way possible. So, God, we say use us. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We want to connect with you, and we want to be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church, or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.